Welcome to Leader Spotlight. On this podcast, we bring you the stories of leaders, their personal journeys, and put a spotlight on the inspiring things they are doing in their organizations. Hello, everyone. I'm Annette Klozowski, your host. I'm an executive coach, a speaker, a peer advisory board leader. I love all things health and fitness. Of course, I love my my sports. Um, the latest one I've been watching that I didn't really know they had is flag football on TV. So um, got really focused on the Olympics. I was watching everything they had. So um, if you need random information about random sports, I can probably help you. And um, of course, I'm an animal lover. So we talk a lot about that here. But I also work with somebody who's outstanding. So alongside me is my co-host and producer, Annie Brown. And I know I always share that you're all things creative and clever and you're, you know, kind of a tech nerd, um, but you also are a contributing writer for Forbes. Yes. And you founded a startup, Ellipse. Yes. So, and you work with Future Point of View. You get to work together. So you're busy. (laughs) I am am busy, but, you know, it would would shock people how many naps I take um, uh, given... (laughs) how much I get done. So I, I think, I think I'm just very, very quick in my waking hours so that I can just sleep as much as possible. That's sort of, that's sort of the goal. Okay. We should do the art of the power nap or something. That's a whole podcast in itself. Oh, I, I could really, I could really, I, I feel like over the past, uh, like five years of my life, I have, I have perfected it <laughs> to an art. So I would love I would love nothing more than to share the secrets of my nap. So yeah, let's let's chat about that at some point. Um, yeah, well, uh, thank you, Annette, as always, for all the lovely things you say about me. I'm very lucky to work with you, and uh, exciting news for you: you are coming out with a book, yes. and uh, we've been we've been working on it for a little while, and it's uh, called True Peers: Building an Elite Circle. And I'm really excited about it. It's actually going to feature some of the interviews that you'll hear on this podcast and some uh, familiar names, big names, and, you know, similar to the podcast, sharing their stories, but also getting more into the weeds, I guess you could say, when it comes to what it really means to build an elite circle. So what does it mean to find your peers that... um, you know, can can reflect back on you that understand uh, your level of, of management, that understand your level of leadership, and can give you the advice that you need. So we're really excited for that book to come out. And we've been um, putting out a lot on social media about, you know, giving feedback on the title, giving feedback on the cover. Um, uh, and so any any updates, follow Annette on social. That'll be on Leaders Spotlight on Instagram and Annette Klozowski on Twitter. So stay updated and uh, yeah, more more to come, more news to come on that. Yeah, and if you are somebody that would like to be interviewed for the book um, or a podcast, uh, reach out with us, uh, reach out to us as well on that. Yes, yes, and we'll put more info on how to reach out in the notes of this, but you can also reach me at Annie at com. All right. Well, today we are talking with Kitty Asbury. She is the executive director of the Oklahoma Commission on the Status of Women. And that's her day job. And you'll understand why I'm going to separate that because this lady has done a lot. 
Um, and when I say she's done a lot, she has built, started, activated. Um, she is really a go-getter. Um, I had the privilege of serving with her as chairs for the 50-50 Women on Boards for our state, which is really an international organization, and it's about gender um, diversity on corporate boards. Um, she, During our conversation, she really shares a lot of her perspectives as an African-American woman rising in the ranks. Um, but just listen to some of the, the some of the things that she's done. Um, at the commission, she works closely with government officials and the public to strengthen power women by improving their opportunities and quality of life. She doesn't stop there with her day job. She also is founded at founder and president of Women Involved in Change. It's an organization created specially to engage black women in the art of activism. She serves as on the board of directors for Sally's List. It's a nonpartisan organization that recruits and trains women to campaign for public office. She is a founding member of Women Lead Oklahoma, an organization focused on empowering the women to lead through education, resources, and networking. So she sees a need, she jumps in, and she creates it. She's very unassuming. Uh, very humble, and it is really my honor that I got to talk with her. So let's jump in with Kitty. All right, Kitty, thank you so much for being with us. I'm excited to have you with us. And uh, I know we're talking about kind of the workplace and leadership challenges that Black women face. And I'm excited about that, but our listeners love to know the story behind the leader. So first, kind of walk us through how you found your way, navigated kind of your career to end up where you are. So kind of give us that behind the scenes tour that led you to where you are now. Okay, so how I got to where I am today, it started as a young girl. You know, my father always told us, and when I say us, this is me and my sisters and brothers. He always told us, regardless of where you are, you have to be at the place you want to be at. So therefore, I've always wanted to be involved in something. You know, it, it, if it wasn't happening, I was going to start it. So I always saw myself as a true leader, regardless of, of whatever I did, because I thought that in order to get something done in life, you have to start doing it yourself. So I started as a young kid selling vegetables and stuff at a, a fruit and vegetable stand in the country. And I always wanted to make sure that our products stood out so people would come over to our bin to look at our stuff. So I would always get out front and kind of hark like I was at the fair or something like that to get people to come over to us. So I always knew that you had to be unique and do something different in order to be noticed. So the interesting thing is that even at a young age, you knew that you were different or unique but yet you embrace that um, not as a like I'm, I'm set back or behind, but you knew you, oh, no. you know, yeah, you embrace that, right? To do what you were. Because it's interesting when I talk to leaders, a lot of leaders that, that are successful go back to roots of I was selling vegetables at a vegetable stand. I was, I had a paper route. You know, I worked in my parents' own businesses, but I worked in their office supply store. And when other kids were at the pool, you know, I was working at the office supply store. So I love that, you know, you go, you trace back to 
figuring out how to sell those vegetables. Cause most kids could have just been on, you know, playing, not even cared about it, but you, there was something in you, right? There was something in you that wanted you, not only were you helping you probably your family, but you wanted to be better than the people around you. Well, yeah, true. And, and then, you know, like when you grow up in, in a small town, you don't have things that a lot of people have, but you have more than what you know that you have, given the fact, you know, you're able to grow your own vegetables and fruits and stuff like that. You're, we didn't have a car, so we had to walk to town. And, and this is a true story, you know, for me to be age 62, growing up in a house that didn't have running water, uh, the front part of the house only had electricity. In order to wash clothes, you had to catch rainwater in big burls, bring them in the house and wait until you have enough to, to wash or either draw uh, water from the well or pump it from the well head on the backside of the house. You know, so I had a lot of challenges, but the opportunity came once our family moved to Oklahoma City, you know, and things started changing then. And my father, he was a union representative working for Transcon. So I got to experience what it was like uh, having opportunities afforded to you when your parents had a good job, because at that time they had a good job. Uh, we were educated real well and everything. And then I started working myself um, when I was 16 years old. The first job I had was at McDonald's on North May Avenue. And from there, I started working at Baptist Integris where I worked in the surgery supply um, room down in the basement. And that was the first opportunity I had to become a leader because at the time they had teams back then, you know, in 1974, they had a team concept and they needed someone to be the team leader. And here I am, a 17-year-old girl, and they asked me to be the team leader. So that's was that was one of my first introduction to leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, working there, graduating from high school, then um, I started working at Western Electric. I got involved with the union. I became a union representative when I was uh, 19 years old, went to college, got a college degree and everything. And I started venturing out doing even more things with the union. So I was provided again, that were opportunities to start traveling, getting connected with uh, people from other states and all of that stuff, building um, building my leadership skills and being able to know that I can do as much as anybody else could do. Yeah, and I, I love how you frame that because you know, I work with a lot of executives and, and leadership isn't necessarily... Um, something you study and you pass exams on and now you're qualified, it's stepping into, leaning into those opportunities and learning. So at 17, you could be a leader, you know? And so it's, I, I love that because I think people think, I don't think I'm a leader, I'm not ready. And it's a, a mindset and it's the ability, like you said, to really see where the, an opportunity is and step forward into that. Yeah, and, and honestly, for me, leadership is more about taking a risk and not being concerned with the outcome and surrounding yourself with people that can actually get the job done. Because honestly, most leaders, they direct, you know, and, and the people who are coming in behind them, and I hate using the word behind again, because in true leadership, it's lateral, where everyone should be stepping together, whether the, mo the movement should all be going in the same direction. So therefore, for me, leadership 
is being able to direct people in, in the direction that you want to go into, you know, and, and again, I'm using that word uh, literally when I say direct, because again, I've learned that in order to get along, you got to go along. And even if it's not something that you want to do at first, you, you have to learn that there are going to be people that will have different points of view than what you have. However, if you look at what they see and you can visualize the outcome of what they're projecting to be what's going to be best for the group, then of course you can get on board with it. Yeah. Where did you go after that? After Western Electric? Yes. So after Western Electric, um, so I worked there from 1976 until 1979. In 1979, I got hired at the Oklahoma City GM plant. At the time when I hired on, they didn't have a union. However, because I came from a union background and because I was used to working with union with unions and management and seeing uh, the dynamics of the differences of, of work versus management, then I was one of the first people to come on board to try to organize a plant and get a, a union out there. So again, my leadership uh, skills kicked in. I started going around getting people to get in, involved because I needed them to see this is something that will work good for us all as um, workers. So I got involved with the union, got elected as uh, one of the, um, not a union official, I was on the executive board for the UAW. So I got on the executive board, then I got an international union position at, from our plant. So I wasn't working on the uh, assembly line any longer. From there, I moved into a lot of different positions throughout my 24 years with GM. And, you know, once the plant shut down, then I went back to school. I attained my master's degree. From there, I started um, doing some um, freelancing jobs, um, basically in politics. So I was like um, a statewide field director for one of our gubernatorial candidates in 2010. Unfortunately, we didn't advance, but you know it was due to a whole bunch of situations surrounding the campaign. But I've always seen myself as that type of person who don't necessarily have to be the lead as long as I can be a part of something that's going on. Because again, I believe if it's not happening, then I'll make it happen because I truly believe that um, I'm one of those kind of people that see different facets of how things work. And I, I champion myself as being a good listener. And that's how I learn a lot, even though I may not have formally had, quote, the education or the training. But if you have, and if you're what you say you are, then I should be able to learn from you. And that's why I come, I like to surround myself with people that I think are dynamic, people who I think are true leaders in life. You know, those who say we're gonna do this and they get it done. So then how did you move into the position you're in now? As far as uh, my position as the executive director for the Commission on the Status of Women, I first got on their advisory council um, committee and I started doing um, just some free um, website work for them. And they, uh, as a matter of fact, it was um, Major General Rita Aragon. 
she goes, you know what, honey, you're doing all this work for us free and we're a women's organization. What are, what are we saying about ourselves when we're, we're letting you work for us free? We need to hire you. I was like, oh no, I don't want a job. Back then I was already in pre-retirement with GM because the planet closed down in 2005, took the pre-retirement. And I was like, no, I really don't want to work again for someone where you have to be accountable for a nine to five or either eight to four thirty or whatever. So quite frankly, the commission basically designed the job for me, which is a part-time job, 20 hours a week, 10 of those 20, 10, 10 of those 20 hours I work in the office. The other 10, I'm out promoting the commission. So that's how I basically got into that um, position. You know, okay, so we're going to talk about um, kind of workplace and leadership challenges facing Black women. So I really want to start because at a young age, you kind of found yourself in a leader, leadership position with back then, just being a woman, that would have been a challenge and probably felt a little bit like an island. And then you're a black woman. So talk a little bit about just those challenges. Like, did you feel that? Did you just not know, you know, you just didn't know what you should have known or didn't know, or like kind of walk us through how being just a black woman coming up just in your career, how that was. Well, there's this old saying that being black is almost like being in another country when you're in America. And quite frankly, it tends to be true at times because we, we see color in America as a separate, as a line of separation for people. And as black women, we've traditionally, we've always had to carry the load when it comes to the workforce. And it's because our black men have been considered a threat to so many people. And as a black woman, we, we take on the role or the roles of so many different responsibilities in life. But as black women, we're so often marginalized and put in boxes because mm -hmm. of perceptions of what people think. And in order for us to overcome that, we always have to work or appear to be working harder than others. Even though we're just as smart as others, we're not always given those chances or opportunities in life to make advances. And it's such a shame because when we know something, we know it. But a lot of times the tone of our voices, which comes from frustration, of not being accepted or from being rejected. We tend to tense up at times and we, we occasionally let our feelings come out and we sometimes cannot control how our reactions may be to situations that we feel are unjust for us, especially in the workforce, when we know we should have gotten that promotion, when we know we should have been included in that conversation, when we know we should have been the one that was asked our opinion, or if we wanna be a part of the newest uh, projects that are being put together, you know? It mm -hmm. seems like they're, there are too many struggles still that we have to, to be involved in just to be accepted. 
However, yeah. I must say this, things are changing. They really are. Things are changing because I think um, the world is transitioning into a more browner world and not quote a black world where back in the 60s and 70s, black people were more considered as quote Africans and African-Americans. However, we are black Americans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's becoming more acceptable. Well, and I, um, I also, you know, I, I love learning because I think we're in a time where we're all learning and mm -hmm. we all are having to check ourselves on those perceptions or those, um, the biases that we had that, you know, maybe aren't so conscious, <laughs> you know, but they're, but they're there and, and walking through that. And, and I know, you know, for me, I have learned a lot. And, and for me, it's been sitting back and listening and really, you know, not judging, not having an opinion um, or thinking this is what I would say to that, but like really processing. So as you're talking, you know, I'm a woman and I started really young stepping into um, leadership roles. And so, I, you know, I'm trying So what I'm doing is like, well, how is your journey where, how is it different than my journey and kind of the things I experienced? And I think you kind of, you touched on that around the stereotyping, um, but talk a little more about the expectations because I think that is a huge area of difference as well. Uh, pressure expectations from, you know, black women, because you mentioned that, which I really haven't heard a lot about. And I think that's interesting that you've really had to step into roles with much more responsibility because of how the black men were perceived. So talk a little bit more about that, you know, and around expectations. Well, and, and really for black women, we, we are, it's that unspoken expectation that people expect about us. Number one, we're, if we're in a, a top leadership position, we're expected to have that high level of education, whereas there are other women, they are pulled up just because of who they know. It's almost like, and please forgive me, the old white man syndrome. It's who you know, not what you know. And even with women sometimes, it's because she, she is um, Miss America's mother or daughter or something like that, then we're going to promote her. But with black women, you have to have that uh, master's degree or that PhD or that DBA or that EDA or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we have to dress a certain way, even though our ethnicity defines us, you know. A lot of times if we walk into the room with our hair in braids or if we have a lot of makeup on or whatever, you know, which is part of our, again, our ethnicity, um, the brightness of our clothes, uh, just a whole bunch of different things. We're looked at a little differently. Like, you know, wh what are you doing like that? You know, no, we, this is what we are. And when, a lot of times I feel when we speak, we're being ignored because we can say something and someone else can say the same thing that we just said, but paraphrase it. And it's like, that's a new idea. No, that's exactly what I just said. However, 
because I used a different word than what you just used, then you didn't understand what was said, you know? Mm -hmm. That's something that happens quite frequently too with Black women. You know, it's it's interesting and, and, I, and I hope I can say this in the way is, you know, like if, if you, you and I are women and so we would have the same experience of having to prove ourselves, thinking we have to be the smarter person in the room. Um, you know, like I identify with a lot of the things that you talk about. What I think we forget to include, and I'm gonna speak from being a white woman, is I start at a different place. Like I haven't had to, you know, you know, black women seem to have overcome a lot of obstacles to where I start, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. I don't know if you ever saw that video about privilege, but oh, it was yeah. the best video on privilege because it made everybody line up in one line and they asked questions like, did you have two parents in your home? Did you, you know, and if you did, you get to take a step forward. And mm -hmm. by asking like questions, you don't really even associate with how far ahead some kids are of others. And it, it's like that gap is mm -hmm. what we forget. And we make an assumption or our perception is based off we're all on this equal line starting. All of, all of us women are on the same line and that's not the mm -hmm. truth. So I love that you really have kind of, kind of identified that gap of where those hurdles have been and those challenges. Um, anything else, are there any experiences? I mean, because I just think of, of young women, young black women that are, are listening, even the white male that's you know running the companies, I think, understanding how things play out is where that is where the growth happens that's where the real awareness happens so are there any experiences or things that you look back and think wow I didn't really know at the time but you know what I went through that's kind of remarkable that you know I was able to get through and I landed where I landed well yeah but Annette before I go to that I do want to comment on something you just said because I think most black people know that we don't start at the same beginning as others. And a lot of us, we know in order to get ahead, there are so many things about ourselves that we have to overlook and not bring to the table because we know that we just can't come in full force showing exactly everything that we do know. Because again, I made the statement earlier, when we know something, we know it. You know, we study, we make sure that when we go in, we're not going to be challenged with our uh, knowledge because we already know that we're going in as the person that's going to be the one that's not easily acceptable at the beginning. We, we know that. But nowadays, I think the young Black women that are coming up, they're more equally qualified to be in the positions that they're in now, only because you see more uh, interracial couples now. So the, the uh, fear of rejection is not as great for these kids as it was for my age group and even, even the people that are older than me. You know, that's been, I think fear mm -hmm. for people is something that we don't talk about openly with other groups of people 
because we don't want people to think that we're weak. And a lot of times fear represent weakness when you're talking about leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, good yeah. point. Well, and I, um, I love, I really do love to see uh, that things are changing and that, you know, we have a generation that's coming up that may um, be in a different place than, you know, you and I were at that time or people were um, in our kind of age group. I mean, I, I love that. So what, what would be um, advice? Like I, I love to ask leaders, what is like the one quality that you as a black woman in leadership that you think has been something that's really helped you advance, get to where you are? Can you, is there a quality that just sticks out that you go, wow, yeah, this is my go-to? Uh, yeah, I think one quality about me that sticks out, I think it's it's my ability to to really listen to others, you know? And, and even though quality, excuse me, uh, listening may not be a quality for most people because you consider that as a skill, but a lot of people listen, but they don't hear at the same time. And I'm able to do both of those things. And I'm not judgmental, which I think that helps me out a lot too. Because again, I know whenever I walk into a room, regardless of what the people, who the people are in there, I'm normally at a disadvantage because I am a black female. And I know that because again, you don't see black female in top positions, especially in Oklahoma. It just doesn't happen because our numbers are so low when you're talking about the total population. And then the businesses in Oklahoma, uh, you have to excel in order to get into those top positions. You just have to. So when you say, you know, like, what I the live by thing that I hear when you say I can I hear and I listen and I hear is that like reading between the lines like you're, read you're yeah so so you're really perceptive of I'm listening but what you're really doing is reading between the lines so that you are able to really position yourself respond um so it's like a hyper vigilant here it's not like I listen and I can repeat back what you said. I think it's a little deeper than that. If I if I really understand what you're saying, you really read between the lines. Without a doubt. And not only do you have to read the, between the lines, you have to know how to respond to what you just heard as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Again, you have these I think, filters. yeah, you have the filters that are that are processing and yeah. Well, so on the show, I always ask, um, who are your four? And I truly believe the people you put around you um, really determine your success. So I've been part of leading peer advisory groups since the 90s. And, and that's when I've really become a believer that who sits around the table with you is able to influence you and build you up. So who you put around you. So, you know, if you have kids, you always tell your kids the company you keep. So I'd like to end with who are your four? So talk about the people you put around you that have been mentors, inspiration that really have helped you become successful. Okay, so three of them are already deceased, but I do wanna talk about one in particular, uh, Miss Clara Looper. This was back in 1973 when I was in high school and she came to John Marshall. And at the time, um, that, 
if you're from Oklahoma, um, back in the 70s, they had this plan. It was called the finger plan where they were busing kids from different locations to integrate schools. Well, where my parents lived, we we didn't have a choice but to go to John Marshall. So at, back then, you know, it was a population of maybe 200 black kids to three, 4,000 students at the time. But when Ms. Looper came over to uh, John Marshall High School, she noticed that they didn't have a black history class and she rounded up all of the black kids and she gave us a piece of paper and she told us, take this home, tell your parents, you're gonna be in black history because you need to know your history. You need to know who you are. And you know, that was really my first big exposure to black history. However, I've always known who I was even growing up in that little small town, you know. So she was the big influence in my life. And she also introduced me to politics and, and letting me know as well as the other students why, why it was important that we had representation because we needed to speak for ourselves. You know, she always used to say, and please forgive me, but this is what she would say. It's a lot of white people that's in the um, House of Representatives in the uh, Senate here in Oklahoma. We need people who look like us, who talk like us, who know what we need for us. So wow. that was my that's first in the 70s? Yes. 70s, wow. Yeah. This was, again, she came to John Marshall as um, a Black history teacher. So that happened. So yeah, back in the early 70s, I was out handbilling and uh, working in campaigns and all that stuff too. My second one was Miss uh, Thelma Parks, which I'm sure you may or may not know of her, but she she was adamant in, in letting me know that you have a voice and you need to be heard, you know? So she, I used to follow her around going to a lot of different meetings and all this kind of stuff because she was a true leader in the black community. Then my third person was uh, Dr. Laura uh, Boyd. And I don't know if you know her or not, but she, uh, back in, in the early 80s, mid 80s, she ran for Lieutenant Governor here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I was first introduced to her. And from there, she used to tell me, she says, you know what? Women need to be in top leadership positions. Whatever you do, make sure you position yourself where people see you and know that you are a leader. So she was one of the first people who told me that I too can be a leader. And then my fourth person was a young lady by the name of Judy Calhoun, which she just passed back in December of, of last year. And um, she and I were at this one event. Uh, we worked together at the Oklahoma City GM uh, plant. And we were at this one event and she said to me, she says, Kit Kat, she says, look around this room. She says, what do you see? And I said, it's a whole bunch of people. She says, yeah. She says, it's a whole bunch of white people. She said, you need to get up and run for one of those positions because it's only 10 black people in this room. And me, I didn't even notice it was only 10 black people in the room. And it was probably 600 people. We were at a convention in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And she told me, she pushed me up to the front and told me that I had to run. So those four people were really instrumental for me as far as putting me where I am today, letting me know that I could be in top leadership positions too. Beginning in the early seventies with, um, with me working at 
uh, Baptist Integris, being that team leader as a 17-year-old girl and just maneuvering myself into positions throughout my career. Because one thing that I do well, I think, is that I, I connect with people who I feel they're going somewhere and everybody needs someone to help them. And I don't have a problem being anybody's little worker bee because <laughs> everybody needs a worker bee. <laughs> well, and I, I love that, you know, when I ask people who has been the most, um, if they had to think of a leader that they look up to the most or that they want to be most alike, I really have never heard somebody get, oh, the person that, you know, just was status quo and, you know, I kind of got away with everything and I wasn't really challenged. Just always those people, you look up to people that push you, get you out of your comfort zone, make you think differently, push you beyond what you think you can do. And what I love is um, you, what I'm learning a lot about you is you always put those people around you, you know, even at a young age, whether it was your parents or in from high school when you were there, you know, and you, and you still do that. So I, I love that because I think sometimes people push away from that being working in, in challenging situations or for a challenging leader, but that's where you're going to probably have the most growth and learn more about what you're made of and what you're made for is being around those type of leaders. Without a doubt. And, and then for a fact, you can't learn anything from someone who doesn't know as much as you. So therefore, why would you even want to be in the same company that have the same thoughts that you have? Change is, to me, change is the most valuable resource that you can have. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, we're going to end on that because that's a great ending note that change is the most valuable resource you could have. So make sure you're embracing that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time and I know you're busy and you're always doing great things. So I really appreciate you taking time to do this interview. Well, thank you for asking me, Annette, and I truly appreciate you. Thanks. Hey all, Annie here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaders Spotlight. Make sure to visit our website, AnnetteKlazowski.com forward slash Leaders Spotlight, where you can find resources mentioned on this show, as well as past episodes. Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leaders Spotlight.